Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. It's late on a Sunday night, which we have done for your start of the week enjoyment. The um, the games of the weekend have just wrapped up. The Trailblazers wrapping up a very impressive victory uh, in Oklahoma City to take a 3-1 lead in that series, which we will be talking about with our Kevin Pelton from Seattle here in a few minutes. And joining us from Los Angeles is, well, here's, you know, Pelton, here's the thing that happens here. We got Nick Friedel and we got Andrew Hahn on the line, both joining us from L.A. The problem is, is that Hahn does a great Nick Friedel impression. So good that over the phone, I really can't tell the two apart. And I suspect and I really believe that they've conspired and there are times when they answer for each other. And so I think I'm welcoming Nick Friedel in from Los Angeles. Is that you, Nick? You are, B. And I think I'm welcoming Andrew Hahn in from L.A. Is that you, Andrew? It is, B. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, anyway, I thought it was a terrific win by the Blazers tonight. Um, I, I really thought this series was going back to Portland 2-2. Um, uh, you know, uh, Oklahoma City sort of came back to the mean shooting in game three. As, as bad as they were in game one and game two, they came back to the mean shooting. Um, I thought they were going to win again. And the Blazers pretty much had this game in a headlock uh, all the way through. Um, Pell, you've watched the Blazers a lot this year. Um, I'm going to admit, I thought the Thunder were had a really good chance to win this series. They came in on a roll, having won five in a row, even though the Blazers finished very strong. Um, and I mean, maybe it was just because of the way I felt uh, about the way, the way they played in the playoffs last year. But Lillard has been awesome. McCollum has been awesome. And can't play Canner. I mean, talk about getting uh, a comeback. Yeah, Ennis Canner was plus 16 tonight. Um, they, they, they can't play anybody but Canter at this point. Right. Right. Um, I mean, w- what are you seeing from the Blazers? Uh, I, I mean, I assume you're impressed. I certainly am. Yeah, I mean, I had the same thought going into this series, probably less so about last year's playoff uh, sweep at the hands of the Pelicans, which, you know, I was covering. I was at the first two games of that series following it closely. And, you know, one of the things I was pointing out at the time was if you looked at the shot quality numbers that we have via second spectrum, the the Blazers were getting similar shots, maybe even better shots the first couple of games to what New Orleans was getting and just a lot more than we're going in for the Pelicans. And I think, you know, sometimes we draw really broad conclusions from four games. And four games, even though it's a bigger sample than something like, you know, the NCAA tournament, one and done, is still not, you know, a very large sample. It's still a, a chance for a lot of randomness. And we saw that, you know, on the other side in Oklahoma City at three-point shooting uh, the first two games of this series. And, uh, you know, to your point, if you would have told me going into tonight that Oklahoma City was going to shoot 15 of 40 on threes, 37.5%, I would have told you for sure it was going to be a 2-2 series. But lo and behold, they shot the exact same percentage on twos. And I think that's testament, first off, to, yeah, how well Cantor and this whole Portland defense has played. I mean, Damian Lillard talked a lot uh, after game one, game two about, you know, he's not been known as a great defender in the past either. Really that's got true. criticized for it a lot. That's you know, I true. think. Yeah, the the Golden State series uh, in 2016 and 2017, but he's made strides. He's worked hard at that end, and he's more than holding his own against Russell Westbrook in this series uh, at that end of the court. In, in addition to doing a lot at the offensive end, uh, you know. And then the other thing I think that uh, helped them a great deal in this one 
Westbrook made some jumpers early. He made three shots outside the paint in the first quarter. And, uh, you know, I was watching this with my brother and he pointed out that, uh, you know, that might not be such a bad thing for the Blazers if it encouraged yeah. Westbrook to keep shooting from outside it the paint. Did. And he finished, uh, let's see here. Five of 21. Five, yeah. And uh, he also didn't apparently make a single shot in the paint in the game. Mm. His, his finishing was uh, was an issue as well, but he shot a lot of jumpers. Nick, I mean, this has been going on all year. I mean, Westbrook's efficiency has plummeted. And while he is still a very highly productive player, they're just not good enough to win when Westbrook isn't even the modicum efficient with shooting the ball. There are two thoughts as I watch these, this series, guys. One, I didn't think Portland was this good. And it, and it sure, sure looks like they are. And Damian Lillard is unbelievable. The, I keep thinking if he played in anywhere besides Portland, he would just, uh, people would understand on a much higher level just how dominant he can be. But two, I watch Russell Westbrook now. And it's not that I don't think he, he can still put up numbers and he can still have games where you go, oh man, he's awesome. I just don't have any fear uh, that that this guy can can take over repeatedly when his team needs it the most anymore like he did a few years ago he i feel like he is he's just not i don't want to say he's he's completely out of the the star category the superstar category i should say but he just doesn't strike fear in opponents hearts the way he used to and the numbers are there, but his play shows you that uh, the consistency that he used to produce night after night after night isn't the same. And I feel like he's on the the kind of the downswing now. Uh, and it's not as noticeable as it might be in a couple years. But when you're in a playoff series at home and you need a game and Russ Westbrook is shooting like he did uh, in, in game four, you just kind of have to shake your head because that's not what he would have done a few years ago in the same spot. Pelton, I feel like if they just had a little bit more shooting and, and Westbrook would, could be freed up just a little bit of some of the shot creation that he would look a lot better. I just think he feels so much pressure to score uh, because they just go through periods where they can't score. Um, it's hard to say that a team with a hundred and forty million dollar payroll doesn't have enough, but I mean, yeah, yeah. That's it. And look, we'll we'll see. The series isn't over. The other guy who had a very quiet and poor performance tonight was Stephen Adams, who wasn't in there down the stretch. They moved him off Ennis Cantor at one point in the third quarter to try to, you know, I guess, take him out of the pick and roll. I haven't seen. I don't know if Billy Donovan commented on that post game, but. He only played 29 minutes tonight, and he got pretty thoroughly outplayed by his former backup, Ennis Cantor. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in game one of this series, um, you know, they were play possession after possession after possession. They ran screen rolls with Westbrook and Adams, waiting for to, for Cantor to basically make a mistake and take advantage of it. And they did okay, but they couldn't really super exploit him. They couldn't exploit him to the point where, you know, last year, who was that series against? Uh, was it two years ago when, when two years Duncan, ago, yeah. yeah, Houston, and, yeah, and it just they just he just couldn't handle the the high screen and uh, you know Donovan's seen on the bench saying can't play Canner, they just they couldn't get to that and Canner at the other end, especially with his rebounding, he didn't even have 
that dominating of a game tonight in terms of rebounding. But, you know, he is an incredible rebounder. But um, So anyway, uh, kudos to Portland. Um, uh, that side of the bracket, uh, still don't know who's going to win. it. I felt like uh, it was really up in the air. Um, and I, in, I, I, I could be Portland, could be Denver, I could be San Antonio, Denver, both Portland and Denver with huge wins on the road over the last two days. Denver makes the lineup switch. Andrew Hahn, how about me? You know, this is not who I am at all. Calling for Tory Craig to start and uh, Mike Malone listening. Listening, I'm sure that was a big factor. And uh, Tory Craig goes in the starting lineup last night. You know, has a tremendous game, and then uh, they get a huge win in San Antonio. And then San Antonio. I mean, like I wouldn't like. Let's say San Antonio wins that series. I wouldn't favor them against Portland, but I mean, I could see it happening if they played great. Um, I still think there's a lot of uncertainty over there. So that's, that's to me is exciting. Um, and, um, you know, Hey, if Portland makes the conference finals, it would be an, I mean, that win tonight, Pelton, help me out. Biggest win for the Blazers since when, you know, cause the, the last series they won was when Chris Paul and Blake Griffin were both injured for the Clippers. So I'd have to say it's the biggest win since the, uh, Damian Lillard game winner against Houston in game six, great 14. Yeah. Uh, so amazing. Maybe their biggest win in five years. So kudos to them. Fidel, you were at um, game today where the Warriors, to me, demonstrated why beating them four out of seven is a fool's errand um, or thinking that you're going to do it. Uh, Steph Curry was just totally not on his game. They were in a, a game that basically was must win for the Clippers. Um, the Clippers were up by what in the th- – Maybe eight in the third quarter, was it, Nick? I don't think it was that high. <clears throat> um, but but they, were goodness, up. they were up for sure. Thank goodness you, Steph Curry's down. Uh, don't worry, Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson will both just dominate you and drive you into the ground because they're the deepest team in the history of the game. Um, the Warriors, anybody who was thinking this was going to be a series, the Warriors came to L.A. and had a nice little weekend and reminded everybody that wasn't going to be the case. You and I must have had the same thought throughout this game because I'm starting to hear more and more people, guys, say, oh, Houston, I think it's their time. I think it's their time. And I'm curious to see when all the predictions on all the different sites, including ours, come out, who actually who actually puts down the Rockets winning the series. Because it's not that they have no chance, uh, certainly with the way – Golden State's focus has kind of gone off and on throughout the se- the season. Uh, they have a chance, sure. I don't believe it though. I believe that Golden State will uh, will win that series and will win that series uh, with with a fair amount of certainty too, uh, because they are so tired of listening to, oh Houston, oh is this their time? A couple months ago, it was, oh, is Denver ready to, to challenge them? And then they went in Denver and won by like 35 uh, when they were hitting all those threes in the first quarter. So uh, I, I made me really naive here uh, in my first year around these guys. But superstars went out. This team is motivated. They had their hiccup in the second half the other night in game two. I don't see anything like that happening again. And, and guys, let me just say, forget the Houston series. If Golden State isn't there holding the trophy one more time in a couple months, I will be stunned. Because for all the craziness going on outside 
uh, and all the chatter about what's going to happen with Kevin and what happens with this team in the future, these guys have all said repeatedly they know they're playing for history. And that means something to each one of those guys and to Steve Kerr and his hold coaching it, hold staff. On, hold on. I just want to make sure that we have this down. Nick Friedel is saying that the overwhelming preseason favorite, <laughs> regular season favorite, and postseason favorite will be stunned. If they don't win the NBA, I, but title. I think I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I think there, it's the sexy pick to think, oh, Golden State, those those issues off the floor, uh, they're they're mentally tired after this run. I think a lot of people are saying something similar in that this this might be it, and I believe strongly the other way. That would be my point. Not that they weren't picked to do it, and they still don't have the. T- I, I got it. I'm just saying that. This team is so damn good when they are. God, Iguodala looks so good. Iguodala so looks so good. good right now. They are when so good. And people like forget this, it. When Iguodala's playing like this, I, it's just. I mean, it's already unfair. I mean, I've been thinking a lot. I've I've ruminated a little bit on this pod recently about how history is going to view the the Warriors, or maybe it wasn't on this pod. Maybe it was on another show, but. I'm really thinking more about how history is going to look at him, how history is going to look at this three-year span with Durant. I mean, one of the reasons why people are so focused on free agency and so much talking about the what-ifs of that is just because the Warriors and Durant, really Durant's move, it's not just Durant, but just Durant's move combined has just zapped has just zapped the regular season. And, you know, we're in the thick of it here. So we're, you know, we're doing these two podcasts a week and we're analyzing each game, we're analyzing each series, and there's value to that. I mean... Like what happened, like Pelton just said, what happened tonight in Portland is important. That, that matters. But in the grand scheme of things, 100,000-foot view, whatever you want to say, history's view, like this is the Warriors' era. It's just like, you know, short of an injury, there's just not anybody touching them. And we've seen it over and over and over. And and uh, I think it's wishful thinking to a certain extent for those people who just want to see a different thing happen. And I, you know the best thing for the NBA would be for another team to win, to be honest with you. Uh, it, 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 would, it would be great if it was in seven games like it was with the Cavs uh, three years ago uh, with the Warriors. Um, that would be the best for the NBA. But, I mean, I just – I mean, I, I, we may be wasting time talking about it right now, Pelton. I mean, I think maybe the, the flip side of that is the danger of the 10,000-foot view is sometimes you can forget that the path was bumpy along the way. So, you know, everyone treats last year's Warriors championship as inevitable, in part because of the fact that they swept the NBA Finals relatively easily, but, you know, after Game 1. But they also were down at halftime of Game 7 on the road. I mean, the, in a game that they needed to win, they were down, That's true. They were down at halftime of Game 6, I think, too, right, at, at home. But, you know, so... I, I wouldn't be stunned. I, I That's where I think that Nick is, you know, carving out a position that is at least somewhat contrarian. I wouldn't be stunned if you told me that they lost, whether it's to Houston or whoever comes out of the East who, you know, I think I think Milwaukee and Toronto have a chance if they escape this playoff crucible in the East that we'll surely talk about in a second here to be the most complete best fits to face the Warriors that they've faced in this era. I mean, they're not going to have the star power of Cleveland, the Cleveland team with LeBron and Kyrie, but you know, I I think one to eight might be better suited to play the Warriors than, than the teams that they've played in the finals in the past. Right. So um, Pelton, if I'm a Celtics fan, they swept the Pacers. Great boy. (laughs) Ready to, ready to roll. 
if I'm the Cel- if I'm a Celtics fan, where should my confidence level be uh, about to face this uh, growling beast of the Bucks, who just absolutely is pounding the the Pistons in, in Pistons into submission when they got by by the skin of their teeth in this Indiana series? Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, that is true, but on the other hand, like. This has been the Celtics all season where they've been losing these games to teams that they should beat. So merely taking care of business and making sure that Milwaukee improbably will not have a rest advantage, even if they sweep the Pistons by virtue of game four being tomorrow, uh, Monday night rather than Sunday. Uh, you know, I think that's encouraging. And then I think the other thing that would give me confidence if I were a Celtics fan, not necessarily, you know, make me think that they're the better team, but confidence that this could be a really good series is the way that we've seen Gordon Hayward continue to play. And, you know, I think this, you know, he, he was much better in the month of March. Uh, I tweeted during the game today that, you know, his dunks were way up, which is a pretty good sign that his athleticism is returning. We saw a couple of those today, one of which, you know, did not ultimately count because of an Aaron Baines offensive foul. But this was the Gordon Hayward that the Celtics expected to sign. And they're a different team with him in the lineup. Yeah, uh, he had 20 points on nine shots today, which was awesome. And and Al Horford, who I think is just a really important player for them, um, has been rock solid um in this uh in the series too just defensively um so um Kyrie had you know a super that supernova in the second uh game game two but um I mean I just I, I I'm I'm still holding out hope for two hellacious second round series in the east um we're gonna get the teams we thought uh and by the way after game one uh and their loss, uh, Toronto has looked like the team that that I saw for most of the season. I mean, I felt like the Raptors were kind of quietly going along. Um, so many missed games for Lowry and uh, Kawhi, and occasionally they they would they would kick a game that they that they probably shouldn't have because of their lineup, or just they would lose. You know, I guess it wasn't completely out of character for them to have one dud. Um, but I felt that they were an awesome team as the season rolled on. I thought that the more Gasol got time in their in their rotation, that the better they looked. And so I'm not surprised at all. And you know, today Lowry didn't have that great of a game. He had nine points, nine assists. You know, uh, so he was involved, but um, nobody was freaking out about it, which is exactly the t- the type of team I thought this was going to be. I thought because they had Siakam who is just all around and because Leonard, I feel like was to a certain extent playing at 80% for a lot of the year. Um, you know, they, they have the, uh, the luxury and their bench is crazy deep and norm, you know, no one's ever talking about this, but the uh, emergence of norm Powell, who was good enough to get a $40 million extension two years ago, Kevin um, completely was lost on the bench for Dwayne Casey and like he had a great game today. Like there's a lot going right for this Raptors team, and the uh, we're going to talk about the Sixers in a minute. But um, um, I feel like the the Raptors are kind of who we thought they were, at least not who I thought they were. 
and I also thought they were going to be that. Yeah, I mean, they they were my preseason pick in the East before we saw that. You know, Milwaukee was going to take this uh, leap up several steps this season. Uh, yeah, Norm Powell has often had some of his best games in the playoffs. Uh, he was like before he got buried on the bench with some of the other additions they had. You know, he was the guy often they would go to in the playoffs when Dwayne Casey needed to switch the starting lineup because of the fact that they were down in a series, which seemed to happen so often. And what they always looking at yesterday if the raptors can take care of business and finish this series at home in game five it would be their first five game series win in a seven game series in franchise history (laughs) because they hadn't won a series i think they'd only won one playoff series till two years ago yeah but when they did win series always it was you know there was some stumble along the way it was going to be six or seven games i kind of thought that might happen after game one that you know but i considered tweety after that like they'll win game two they'll lose game three in orlando everyone will panic and they'll win three in a row to win the series but looks like they're going to get through it without that second uh moment of panic yeah nick um you probably didn't get to see the game today because you were working (laughs) um but the raptors you know they i mean they played okay against the Warriors this year. I mean, they had their, they had, they had some moments. I, I think if that's the finals, um, they're, they're going to cry in the TV markets because uh, we don't get to count the ratings in Canada. And, but I mean, I think it would be a reasonable series. I don't think Toronto would be embarrassed to be, but the greatness of golden state, <laughs> that's the level we're at. They wouldn't be embarrassed, <laughs> right? The greatness of golden state will win out. But I, I look, on a on a quick aside, I've stuck with the Celtics all year when everybody was counting them out, particularly my man Timmy B, Tim Bontemps, and I know his <laughs> head is going to explode when he hears this, but I'm taking the Celtics to beat Milwaukee in the second round. I believe That's... that wholeheartedly. Okay, and why? I mean, by the way, like, you know, I'm the guy who's got my uh, Celtics cone of uncertainty. I I nothing <laughs> would nothing would uh it surprised me with them. They're they're all over the place. But but why do you, why what's what do you see that's uh, making you believe that now? Because Boston, despite all their flaws throughout the regular season, still has something that Milwaukee doesn't have. At least hasn't earned in the moment. Swagger. Boston has Kyrie Irving, who has won a title. Boston has a a, a very talented roster full of players who believe that they can make it work in the postseason. KP just mentioned the way Hayward's playing. Like, if he plays like that. You just got swagger Marcus Morris, who had another great game off the bench. I mean, there you go. And I watch that, and I understand. It's like I I will watch that Milwaukee series. I watched that Milwaukee series against Boston last year. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, okay, they threw everybody at Giannis. They threw Aaron Baines at Giannis for a while. And it's a totally different team now with Budenholzer and the additions they made to the roster. I understand. But when push comes to shove in that series, who do you trust on that Milwaukee roster in a big-time postseason game? You trust Giannis. You trust Chris Middleton. And right now, until we see otherwise, that's it. Because Eric Bledsoe, I know it's another year, but he was terrible in that series. And I know it motivated him to get better. I read it in a, one of Malika's stories. But Boston has been through this before. Boston was on the doorstep of going to the finals last year, and they didn't even have Kyrie or Hayward. 
So the reason I believe that Boston can take this next step over Milwaukee is because they have the players who have been through it before. And when you are in the playoffs in a, in a, a hellacious atmosphere on the road, you need guys who have no fear, who are going to knock down big shots and step up defensively. And I think despite their flaws that they showed in the regular season, Boston has the ability to get four games on Milwaukee coming up. It's fair. It's a, it's a fair, you know, I, I can see that being true. I mean, I think Milwaukee's nerviest moments are when they have to get two points in the half court. And um, I know that, that Bud will have a good play drawn up, but I've watched him this season and sometimes he gets shaky. And, um, and you know, when Giannis doesn't trust the jumper, and I'm sure Brad Stevens has a defense that he's working on as we speak that will try its damnedest to put him in situations. You know, you're going to lose to Giannis a lot. He's going to overwhelm you because he's just so darn good. But there are times you can put him into a box. He has a weakness in his game. You know, there, a lot of a lot of stuff reminds me of LeBron early in his career, um, because LeBron he was not this physically imposing, but he basically dominated games with his physical abilities, and then he had this great playmaking streak that enabled him to make other his other teammates better. LeBron was not the defender that Giannis is, um, but you know, the Spurs, you know, in that first finals, like they knew he couldn't shoot. They knew they didn't think he would work, and they played the percentages and ended up working. And so, I could see that same. You know, you have to execute, but I could see that same thing coming home to roost. Please leave a message after the tone. When I was young, getting a credit card was a pain. You had to worry about the interest charges and all those fees because I didn't have a credit history. Now I'm older and I've built some credit, but you still have to watch those annual fees and foreign transaction fees. But have you ever heard of a credit card company that actually helps you avoid paying those fees and the unexpected interest charges? Well, I just did, and it completely changed the way I think about credit cards. This new company is called Pedal. Pedal uses advanced technology and partners with WebBank, member FDIC, to provide access to a Visa credit card along with a simple, modern mobile app experience designed to help you build credit. You can qualify even if you've never had a credit card in the past. But make no mistake, Pedal is great for anybody looking for more from their credit card company. When Pedal says no fees, they mean it. Even if you miss a payment. No annual fees, no foreign transaction fees, or any other kind of fee. Now, Pedal suggests you avoid interest charges entirely by paying in full each month. So they let you automate your payments on their mobile app so you'll never miss one. As of today, their variable APRs range from 15.24% to 26.24%. Credit limits range from 500 bucks to 10000 which is a lot higher than other credit cards if you're just starting to build your credit. And you can see if you're pre-approved without impacting your credit score. So if you want to build your credit the right way, check out the Pedal Credit Card. It's a smarter credit card for the modern world. Go to pedalcard.com slash hoop today and find out more. That's pedal with a T. Pedal, P-E-T-A-L, card.com slash hoop. Well, I have a little soliloquy I want to make here. Um, I feel like I have to start off by saying that I really respect Sean Marks and the job he's done. I feel like when you're about to criticize somebody, you have to make it clear that you don't hate everything about them. It doesn't seem like it always works, but this is where we go through the rigmarole where I support him as a candidate for executive of the year and think he's done an amazing job. I think he's a good person overall. 
don't know him that well, know him a little bit, but have no problems with him. But um, his behavior this weekend is absolutely unacceptable. And what I find almost more disturbing is the support that he is getting for the actions that he took, which, according to the league, was to enter the referee's locker room after the Sixers' uh, Game 4 victory yesterday in Brooklyn. That is showing absolutely horrible leadership. Under no circumstances whatsoever should is this an example to set for the players of your team, that you want to have your franchise led by somebody whose reaction to uh, frustrating about a call is to go into the official's locker room as if this was some sort of seventh grade, uh, you know, father chasing a ref out into the parking lot. Um, and, and the concept that this was him standing up for his team, sending his team a message. If this is the message you want to send, you've got a big problem because yes, officials make mistakes there are high-pressure calls that sometimes go against your team. And in the, and in the moment, in the heat of the moment, in, um, in a playoff game, uh, you can let that boil over. But as the general manager of an organization, you doing that, just completely unacceptable. I mean, I think DeMar DeRozan throwing the ball at Scott Foster, as he did last night in San Antonio, uh, that is really, you know, you just can't do it. And he was fined for it. And like, you know, we see every year players get fined and coaches get fined for criticizing the officials after the game. And I understand all that. And I understand that the officials are not, um, you know, they make mistakes and it's very frustrating. You just, I just, I, I can't abide it. I cannot abide it. It is not good leadership. And the, 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 the erosion of decorum for the officials in this league is a major problem. And uh, Michael Lewis, the great Michael Lewis, he of, um, you know, many, many wonderful uh, investigative pieces over the years, just put out a podcast where he talked about how the officiating from a, from a statistical point of view has actually never been better in terms of the calls they're, they're getting right. And yet the decorum in the way officials are being treated is eroding by the day. And I can get into societal commentary here. I'm not going to. But somebody's got to show leadership the other direction. And we just had Steve Kerr today, uh, after the game against the Clippers, say that he doesn't think that the, that the Thunder players not answering questions to the media uh, is a good thing for the league, that it's taking the league down a dangerous path. And I would say to Steve Kerr, who I respect immensely, Steve, the bigger problem for the league right now is the way players and coaches and then fans are treating officials and the warriors are the leaders of the problem. And before we talk about dealing with the media of which we are part of, we need to focus on the officials. And I still, I don't know what happened even in Brooklyn because officials dressing rooms are supposed to be guarded by guards. And in some arenas, the biggest, strongest, toughest guards are guarding the officials locker room for this exact reason. I don't know how Sean Marks got past them. I don't even know what happened. I just know what the league said. And he was suspended for it. And frankly, he probably got off light. Um, and uh, I'm sorry to, to go on and on and on about this, guys. Uh, I don't know if you have thoughts about it. You don't have to have thoughts if you're not comfortable. But um, I just – it is 
I'm expecting an apology from Sean Marks because he has got to start. He has got to to solve this problem. And he and you know he doesn't have to rebuke everyone who. I mean, like you know, I I get why fans are 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 saying it, but I, I mean, I just get the sense that there's people in the league who are supporting this, and I just um, I can't abide it. I'm sorry, I went on so long about that. I have tons of thoughts on this, Brian, and uh, I also listen to that Michael Lewis podcast and re- would recommend it to uh, you know everyone who's curious about NBA officiating. He goes to the uh, replay center in Secaucus, but uh, when you talk about kind of leadership after a loss and a tough call, one of the examples that I have always gone back to is something that you would have covered and probably remember pretty well, which is, I think it was the 2006, it was the, it was the Cavs-Pistons series that ended with or, or featured the LeBron 48-point special. That's right. That's and right. early in that series, there was a call that went against Cleveland and cost them a close game. And afterwards, I, my recollection is that Danny Ferry's message to the team was like, we are not going to complain about this call at all. We are just going to move on. And I thought that was incredible because they weren't focusing on that play. They were focusing on what they could control the rest of the series and went on to win it despite that call that went against them. Okay, yeah, it was uh, Mike Brown, I think, actually. I, I don't have, you know, Mike Brown, there was a discussion about whether they should go after the officials in the post-game press conference. And by the way, this happens on a regular basis. Uh, in 2016, uh, when the Cavs were down 3-1, Ty Lue and um, David Griffin had a similar discussion, and they decided to go after the officials, uh, and Ty Lue was fined. And sometimes it is an organizational decision, and um, fair or not, um, there was a there, 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 it's often a strategy decision because certain times teams believe if they if they criticize the officials publicly that it has some sort of tangible benefit and you get something for your money. I don't like that, but I certainly understand that that's a part of the league and the officials court that by sometimes reacting to that kind of stuff. So it has swung both ways. Um, but I, you know. Even if you're super mad and you and you you know you and you want to talk about how super mad you are, that is a hell of a lot different than going into the officials' locker room, um, which is, you know, we saw guys get all kinds of guys get suspended for players going into the into the locker room, you know, in the secret tunnel incident last year, or whatever it was two years ago, whatever it was. But um, uh, I mean, I, I I just feel like, look. Th- th- I, you, you, if you think that NBA officiating is bad, I get it. And I, also the personalities in play complicate things. I was just talking to the parents of a, of a guy who's probably going to be a first-round draft pick um, just over this weekend. And this guy was an extremely successful college player. Um, and his father was telling me one of the things that frustrates him about the NBA is he feels like the officiating – um, they call it differently for different players and that he feels like, you know, his son will be victimized as a rookie, et cetera. And I said, the thing about it is there are, you know, when you get to the highest level, which we're at right now in the playoffs, there are, are a small group of officials that call games. Um, and the, the elite level officials, especially as we deeper get in the playoffs, you see less and less faces and there just tends to be scar tissue that is built up. Obviously Scott Foster is the premium guy right now. This is, but this has been a fact in the NBA dating back to the sixties and seventies where if it wasn't Scott Foster or Joey Crawford, it was Hugh Hollins and Dick Bavetta and all that other stuff. This will, it'll be the case forever. And so I do agree that while you'd like the officials to be these robots 
who just make calls and there's no personalities involved and they make the same call for James Harden as they do for Mo Harkless, that's not reality. And if you want to criticize the officiating for that, that's fine. I totally am down with that. But we also have to recognize that this is the best we have. If you think the college offici- if you think NBA officiating is bad, I invite you to watch college games. And holy hell, before I covered um, the NBA, I covered mid-major college basketball, the Mid-American Conference. The officiating in that conference is horse. And these are guys who are playing for one NCAA tournament bid, and if they don't get it, you know, if they get it, they make three million dollars. These coaches, at, you know, at their next job, and if they don't get it, they get fired in three years. And they're playing in a one bid conference, and these officials are costing them games. It's awful, and even at the higher level, it's awful. And if you really want to get your stomach turned, watch international basketball over in Europe. Oh, you know, over in Europe or in China or wherever else. Watch the World Cup this summer. Think about how the officials are. This, these are the best we have. Okay, they are drilled. They are studied. Their their calls are put on, you know, incredible intensity level. Their their calls are reviewed the next day. Like, imagine if all of our jobs, like, let's say I posted an article, and then the next day, uh, a critique of that of every line of that article came out, and I was almost always ruled that I messed up. I mean, they are they are the oversight is insane. This is the these are the best guys we got. Okay. We all strive to be better, but thinking that there's some other officials out there that are going to do a better job is pigheaded. Uh, okay, Nick, I'm sorry. I'm 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 plowing through here. People have probably turned off the podcast. I can't I can't I can't help it. It's okay, but the fix for both of the issues that you brought up is the same in my mind. If you don't want players and coaches and Sean Marks jumping into the officials locker room. It's going to take more than a one-game suspension and a $25,000 fine. If you don't want players like Steph and KD after a game, as was the case in Minnesota last month, to call out an official by name, in this case Marat Kogut, then fine them more than the twenty-five grand that they find Steph, and the fifteen grand that they find Kevin, and the thirty-five grand that they find Draymond for tweeting out MK and TD in reference. <laughs> we all believe to to Tim Donahue, uh, and then on top of that, B, if you're the league and you really believe that talking to the media or not talking to the media in back in reference to to what Steve told Ethan uh, about it being a dangerous path that everybody's on if if Russ and, and Paul George are saying next question. Then if you're Adam Silver, you fine Russ Westbrook $100,000 if he goes and makes a mockery well, question look, and I don't know. I don't know, man, because he is making himself available. He's just not – you know, it's one thing to, to duck out on media – which is allowed, you know, Kevin Durant got away with it for 10 straight days earlier this year. I mean, why would Kevin Durant think there's consequences when he cannot talk to the media for 10 straight days? Well, wait a minute, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute now. I, maybe it's the inner Ray Ritter that has now grown in my brain <laughs> after six months with the Warriors. But I would have to defend Kevin in this regard because that, that story got a lot of traction. And the reality was Kevin spoke before a Pacers game the week prior to the beat writers, as as he always does, and I always remind people, Kevin Durant prior to uh, 
that blow up at the media that night is one of the most accessible superstars I've ever been around in my life. If you need a couple extra quotes from Kevin, he's almost always there. But the point here is that Kevin talked to a couple national outlets. He did the 60 Minutes interview. There were only five or six days where he didn't talk to the beat writers. So everybody got hung up on that nine or ten days. And the reality (laughs) was there was context there because he had done interviews. He just hadn't spoken to the beat writers. And in 2019, if you go five or six days without speaking to the beat writers as a superstar, especially after the Knicks had just made that deal uh, to send Porzingis to Dallas – of course, there's going to be ramifications. But the point is, in in what were, the, distance, what were the ramifications? There were none from the league that we know of. No, no ramifications in that everybody's going to say, "Hey, Kevin, why aren't you talking? Why, you know, why, why, why is this become my, such a big point, deal?" My point is this: the, the, the if if the media is going to get mad about something, if a guy doesn't want to answer a question, he's sitting up there and is available to the media. Okay. I'm not going to have a problem with the guy refusing to answer a question. It's become a mockery both directions. Kevin Durant didn't give an interview after game two. Is that my correct in saying that? And he, why would he worry about anything that ever happened to him not giving an interview after a game when he went days, I don't care how many days it was, days and days and days on end without speaking with no ramification during the regular season. And I don't want to get into this mud because I want to talk about the playoff games. I'm just going to say, to me, the bigger sin is not talking to the media at all but nobody worries about kevin durant blowing off the media they more focus on russell westbrook who is at least sitting up there and doing and answering the questions even if he's saying no comment to a particular question well but okay now this is an interesting topic though because i think we're all in this and we've been in this for a long time we've been in this bubble in this media game the answer to your question in this regard, in my opinion, is that Kevin Durant gets the benefit of the doubt because Kevin Durant historically has been great to deal with from the media's perspective. I believe he won the, the Magic Johnson Award, didn't he, a few yeah, years I'm, ago? I'm, I'm not even it, – it, it could be player X. But, but, but here's the difference. Russell Westbrook is a, it seems like a dick to the media. But who cares? Outwardly. But, 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 who, but ultimately, who cares? I mean, I think fa- – but do the fans care enough? I, I don't know that answer. Why, honestly, who cares how we get treated? I mean, that's for us to talk about when we're having our conversations with ourselves. What does it matter how Russell Westbrook treats the media? If, 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 there's, a, if there's a blowback on him uh, and his coverage and the way you know, he is treated in the media because of that, that's mildly interesting. But – Honestly, who cares? I think it makes the league look bad, B. That's, that's what I and, would say, and, too. And, who cares? And, and here's what I'm saying. It's way actually worse for a superstar player to go a week without speaking and skip speaking after a playoff game than it is for a guy to not answer a question because at least he's up there and talking. But the problem, but, the problem is there's no clip of someone not talking to go viral, well, and that's what but has that's, been able to happen with the Westbrook uh, answers or non-answers. That's why, that's why the focus is on the wrong thing. Hello, yeah. and welcome to the Hoop Collective. Right. We talk about the NBA. It's the NBA playoffs right now. <laughs> Please leave a message after the tone. For all your biggest achievements in life, who's the one person that's always been there? unconditionally supporting you every step of the way. Well, my producer, Andrew Hahn, but also your mom. She's your forever your biggest fan. Just like Andrew, although 
I don't know, some days he's more than others. But mom is always there. She's always supporting me. And you know what's coming up? The day in which you honor all of that support. This Mother's Day, show her just how much you appreciate all that love with a 1-800-Flowers.com bouquet. Right now, when you get ahead of the Mother's Day rush, and man, it is coming fast. Uh, April's almost over. 1-800-Flowers will give you an exclusive 36 for 36 offer. 36 sorbet roses for just 36 bucks. Only a dollar a rose. Good luck get anything close to that near Mother's Day. They'll be five times that price, ten times that price. With an impressive mix of pastel shades and pink, orange, and lavender, these roses are guaranteed to make your mom smile. They're the perfect way to surprise all the moms in your life. Your wife, your sister, your grandmother, or to celebrate any other spring occasion. These breathtaking roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at the peak of their freshness and shipped overnight. 36 sorbet roses for 36 bucks is an amazing offer. But you gotta hurry because it expires on Friday. So don't put this one off. Order today from 1-800-Flowers.com. It's what mom would want you to do. Remember, 36 sorbet roses for 36 bucks. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, and enter the code HOOP to get the deal. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code HOOP. Hurry! This fantastic offer ends Friday. All right, I want to spend a little bit of time on the Sixers before we go. Um, I thought the Sixers were in real trouble, especially when Embiid was ruled out for Game 3, not just because I thought they might lose that game, but because what it means going forward. We talked about this on the pod last week, um, the fact that he would be, you know, this was a vital game, 1-1, uh, and the fact that he couldn't play just tells you how serious that knee is. And I still think it's tenuous, but to go into Brooklyn and to win one game without Embiid and then to come back um, and go and just fight through it, it was a, just a must-win game for the Nets, and the Sixers delivered. Um, I thought it was a I, – I still am worried about Embiid's knee because the strange thing about Embiid is that he seems to play pretty damn well when he plays. It's not like we're seeing him go four of 18 and get three rebounds and have to shut it down. He seems to put up good numbers, and he seems to fly around the court and, and fall on the ground despite it. Um, it's just I don't know what his availability is. Um, I'm going to tell you something, though, guys, that I think is important. And all the suspensions – or not the suspension. Well, there was a suspension for the, for the GM. But all the fines that were handed down today for that little fracas that happened in Brooklyn yesterday – the one thing that did not happen was that Joel Embiid's flagrant foul, which was a borderline flagrant one, was not rescinded. I thought it was going to be, but they just didn't. And, okay, fine, it's not. But it, he now has two flagrant foul points, and we're only, he's only played three games. Um, he gets this flagrant two, another flagrant two. He gets a flagrant two or another two more flagrant ones. Yes, this is be suspended. If you don't think this matters, go talk to the Warriors and Draymond Green, Pelton. Technically, he got suspended for technical accumulation, right? But yes, uh, yes. the, the yes. same point applies. Yes. No, no, no. He got suspended for flagrant. Oh, that was a flagrant. Okay, so it did date yeah. back because it was Stephen it was Adams the, and the yeah. play and those yeah. all those. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I mean, uh, Embiid like. Yeah, these these hard fouls. I, that was borderline, but you you haven't earned a lot of benefit of the doubt after you Fair. got 
a great deal of benefit of the doubt in game two for being on the court for the end of that game and and that being a flagrant one and not flagrant two. Uh, One of the things that's happened in the series that I think has been meaningful long term, it'll be interesting to see how or whether it carries over against Toronto, is how much Boban Marjanovic has been able to play and have a huge impact. I mean, obviously, uh, the best option for them with Embiid unavailable in game three, even though Greg Monroe got the start, and then giving them crucial minutes off the bench, making the Nets pay for Seguin off him with mid, mid-range jumpers. That was always kind of the question about Boban is like, yeah, he's really effective when you throw him in there for a few minutes at a time in the regular season. But when you go into the playoffs and teams can try to pick him apart in the, in the pick and roll, you know, similar to what we talked about with Cantor earlier in the pod, can he stay on the court? And his ability to do so so far has been crucial for them. I actually talked to Doc Rivers about this early in the season because he boosted his playing time. Um, Doc said he's just worked relentlessly on improving his, his footwork and that there's a ceiling of what, he, what he's going to be able to do. Um, I've, I've always advised people to do this. If you ever get to a t- – you know, Boban's bounced throughout the league now. If you ever get to a game early, watch Boban work out before the game. Sometimes it's before they even – it might even be before they let, you, they let people in. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Nick, but um, I cannot believe how athletic and light on his feet this guy is. And he goes through some drills um, before, way before the game where he to work on it. And it's just breathtaking that a man that size, I mean, you see it, you know, it's, it's, uh, people laugh, but that one dancing video where he's dancing with Tobias, um, and it's become like a meme and, you know, they've set different music to it. Um, I defy you to find another man that size who can dance like that to be, and I don't mean to be funny, but like seriously. And so, um, he's just, he's worked really hard on getting his, getting lighter on his feet and it, it makes it makes a difference, but um, Nick, I mean, what what, what do you, are you where are you where's your confidence level? Your confidence level with the Celtics is pretty high. Where's your confidence with the Sixers? Not high, <laughs> not high. This is this is all uh, spelling out for me at least that the Celtics are going to end up facing the Raptors, like so many of us thought when the season began, because when you're Philly and you're relying on Joel Embiid who's had a knee issue now for the better part of a couple months, and you still have questions about how all these pieces fit, and you're going up against a team, uh, potentially assuming all these series play out the way we think, in Toronto that defensively has taken another step and now adds Kawhi. I, I, I've just never believed in Philly as being able to take that leap this season. That's, that's what it boils down to from my perspective. I, I I like Jimmy immensely. Uh, I've watched him since he came in the league. Jimmy's at his best when he has the ball all the time and, and he can go ISO Jimmy and kind of try to take over. And if you're relying on Jimmy at times to do that, uh, maybe at the end of the game, that's fine. But when you are trying to make all this other stuff work with Embiid and, and Simmons still not being able to shoot and Tobias Harris going hot and cold – I'm just not buying the Sixers until they show us otherwise. And the Nets are a nice team. They play hard, but they they don't have the type of stars that can compete uh, with the stars that Philly does have in this moment. So when you get to another team like Toronto that does have a guy in Kawhi who has proven it at the highest level, I think the magic is going to end for for Philly here in the next couple weeks. Yeah, you know, um, it's really hard to evaluate them because they just – They've got this this stud starting five, and they just haven't really been together. 
Um, just because of injuries and other circumstances. I, I, I don't know what they do as an organization with three of these guys as free agents. Um, you know, I do think Tobias Harris has acquitted himself very well in this series. I don't know if you agree with me, Kevin, but, um, um, and Simmons has sort of answered the bell the last few games. Um, you know, they needed it from him and he answered the bell. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's also a reminder in this series that, um, uh, the Nets still need one more guy uh, that even though DeAndre Russell has stepped forward this season, I mean, I could be wrong. I don't, I don't think he's a number one guy. No, he's going to probably be asking for a max contract expecting to be a number one guy. And that's one of the reasons why this summer is big for them. If they can steal somebody in the free agent market, but you know, yesterday he just wasn't able to, you know, it was a humongous game, biggest game of his career, probably. And he had decent numbers, but he just wasn't able to impact the game. And, um, you know, there was a reason why a lot of people thought Levert was their best player, you know. And he, Levert's been great in the series, too. That's been a real bright spot. But I still think they need uh, another – and I think this series has shown that, that um, uh, they could – you know, that at the end of the day, the Philly just has a little bit more star power. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think I, I agree with Nick that that's going to be a big step up. I think there's a, a large cone of uncertainty with Philly as well for all the reasons that you articulated in terms of their starters being new, but, you know, having so little time together. But it, I think they'd have to play towards the very top end of what they can do, like the high end of what they can do that on that cone of uncertainty to beat a Toronto team that is – much deeper, more experienced, everything than this Brooklyn team. Yeah, and bottom line, I just don't know if the if the uh, if if Embiid can hold out. I mean, you know, if if he was at the top of his game and totally healthy, I mean, the guy's one of the top five, eight players in the league. I could see anything happening, but he's played eleven games since the All Star break or something like that. Um, for us to assume, especially in the next round, when generally the games are going to be every other day, um, there may be a little bit of variance in the start of the series because. Looks like um, uh, Boston, Milwaukee is going to start really early, so they're going to get some extra days off probably. But um, I feel like, you know, I, I just don't know if you could trust him. he's, he's going to be able to do this every other day. Um, we'll see. Um, all right. Well, uh, thank you for in, indulging in my rant. I'm sure uh, I pissed a lot of Nets fans off, but uh, I couldn't help it. I had to say it. And uh, we'll see you guys out there on the playoff uh on the playoff run, I assume, uh, Nick, um, you're hoping for an end of this series in five so that you can get a little rest before uh, before the biggest series of the season, maybe, we think. B, I'm still pissed they didn't end this thing today. <laughs> 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 this should have been it. I mean, everybody should have had a week off and gotten their practice in and been done. So, yes, uh, I am not happy about it, but uh, I'm – I'm I'm not happy about several things. I'm I'm ready for that Russell Westbrook conversation whenever you are as a teaser to whenever we have that deeper dive into All that right. whole topic. I really thought we were going to get. I I still think Denver uh, San Antonio could go seven. I thought Golden. I thought um, Portland uh, Utah. I'm totally losing my brain. Portland Oklahoma City was going to go six or seven, and now it looks like it's not. So we may only have one series go. Can we only have one series go six? Is that possible? That's maybe where we're headed. We'll see. Um, all right. Well, thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. Thank you to Mr. Pelton, Mr. Friedel, and Mr. Friedel Jr., Andrew Hahn. Have a good week, everybody. We'll talk to you in a few days. Thanks, B.
That was Pelton. Even I know that was Pelton. <laughs> Well, mine isn't nearly as good as Hans, but uh, uh, the, standard, uh, the standard's too high. It is. Royce and I in Portland at dinner in Portland were both trying out our. I, as I explained it, it's an impression of Hans' impression of. That's right. Yeah. And Hans said, "Does that mean my impression's bad?" And I said, "No, it just means you only say like three or four different words, right. so that's yeah, all I'm attempting." He's perfected those few words, and so he's, he's untouched. <laughs> Got him. Yeah. Thanks for listening again.